You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker. That is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And greetings, happy Friday, welcome to the Steve Day Show podcast here on Westwood One, powered by CRTV, I am Steve Dace, Todd and Aaron are here with me as well. Let us know what you think about what we think here on a Feedback Friday, we'll get to some of that here in just a moment, but if you want to have your thoughts on our thoughts considered for a future podcast, steve at stevedace.com is the email address, you can like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, at Steve Dace Show, and the last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. So, gentlemen, we just wrapped up production for today's show. It was the Dace Group Roundtable, our weekly look at the week that was. Is there anything you guys want to tease, or just the whole thing was good? Tom? I hired a meerkat. That's it. That's the only thing I wanted. That, that's true. I, I, we we had a meerkat on the show, and I'm fairly certain this is the first ever appearance by a meerkat mm. in the history of CRTV. Yeah. Todd. So, and you have that going for you, Aaron. Yeah. And it's the most, forget CRTV, it's the most glorious one Ever. You've never seen a meerkat. Um, like I like, and I like to imagine the process of. You've Aaron. never seen meerkats like this. Yeah, that you said it's the greatest. Yeah, <laughs> I only hire the best meerkats. <laughs> oh, well, occasionally nice. I'm here. I'm sitting here to see when Aaron has his pre-production eureka moments. I just, I wish I was there to see the happy place he arrived at when he's searching for the thing that defines his mood on this and he comes across the meerkat and just the look on his face of pure joy like a kid on Christmas like this. This is, this is what I want to speak to America with. It's a, it's a gift. Well, if you want to watch today's show on CRTV, CRTV.com is uh, how you can pay attention and watch not just our show, but every single show that airs each and every day here on CRTV. CRTV.com is how you can subscribe if you're not yet a subscriber. And if you use my name, Dace, as a promo code, we'll give you an annual subscription at a pretty substantial discount. How's a quarter a day? That's all it will cost. And you'll not just get access to our show, but every single show, Steven Crowder, the great one, Mark Levin, the whole team here at at CRTV. CRTV.com promo code DACE. All right, gentlemen, let's get to it. Today's podcast. It is a feedback Friday. I've got some feedback from the audience that we will be responding to today. You guys ready to go? You What's bet. the over under today and how many we get through? Well, I'm doing this differently now uh-huh. where, where I'm coming up with a separate I'm I'm doing a pullout sheet of the of the feedback. And we're getting through what's on the sheet before we sign off. Does that make whether that I'm just going through the inbox and grabbing stuff? And, and uh, at the end of the show, we've, we've answered two people. I right? like so it. I'm trying to be I'm trying to be a little more professional here. But we'll see how it goes. It may not last. All right, this is from Tom, who says I listened to your recent podcast about the uh, the Catholic Church sex scandal with interest. I know seven of the names on the Pennsylvania list. I tried to teach one of the victims, but he was gone and couldn't be reached on a human level. 
Um, I used to visit one of the seven as an adult until he propositioned me for homosexual sex. I declined. He accepted my choice, but he was never again friendly toward me. There are some dynamics at work that neither you or Todd are probably aware of. I learned these from the priest I used to visit. First, there's an internal political power structure in the Catholic Diocese of Allentown. Presumably, such power dynamics operate throughout the Roman Catholic Church. The alignments, back-scratching, desire to advance upon uh, up the power structure, and so on, were described in nearly identical terms to some of the things you guys described. I can't help but sense on a gut level that the political power machinations play a big role in the actions taken, probably is a big part of the answer to the question of why the cover-up. Secondly, the priests used to tell me stories about homosexual weekend rendezvous on a hill down in Reading. I think it's Reading, not Reading, right? Reading. I believe so. Uh, the sexual activity was described to me as being between priests and between priests and other non-clerical homosexuals. This too explains why they covered it up, because a lot of them were in on the sodomy action. The pederasty, when viewed in this light, is also recruiting into the homosexual lifestyle. Homosexuals cannot breed more of themselves. They must go forth and make converts to their lifestyle, and they were using essentially the elements of the Catholic Church to do this. Todd, your thoughts on this note? Yeah, I've heard stories along these lines. I, I just read earlier this week that I believe two uh, Catholic priests were caught in uh, lewd behavior. This is what I believe has been uh, documented uh, in even even if anecdotally from respectable enough persons for a long enough period of time uh, that this is what the church uh, writ large is dealing with um, and notice in in there not a mention of uh, pedophilia mm. it, that's 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 just not the issue um, so he's uh, it's it's in, it's very interesting to have a a front row seat uh, to what's going on, um, but I I can't argue with a bit of his sentiment. Evan writes, "What are what is your view of the claims uh, atheists like Sam Harris make that the Bible endorses slavery?" Recently, I listened to a conversation between Ben Shapiro and Sam Harris, where Sam Harris brought this up, and I was wondering how Christians should respond to this, and what your opinion is. Well, that's a really good question, Evan. Let, let's talk about how slavery is depicted in the Bible. When the when the Israelites are punished by God, what are they sent into? Slavery. So slavery in, in, in slavery's primary depiction in the Old Testament is that would is of a judgment. Its primary depiction in the Old Testament is of a judgment, of a bad thing, of something uh, that is not good. Right. So there's it. So there's its first negative connotation. Um, also, you have to look at culturally. There's no middle class. Really, a middle class didn't really exist in mass in, in human history until post-industrial revolution Western civilization. Prior to that, whether you had mercantilism, feudalism, whatever the economic system of the age was, it was primarily a dual class system, similar to a bee colony. The queen, meaning the royalty, and then you had the workers. And within those two classes, there were uh, different distinctions and elevations, but primarily that was the economic system of human history prior to post-industrial revolution. So we're talking early to mid-19th century. So essentially 6,000 years almost of human history 
before what we know today as a middle class. Teenagers never existed until really post-World War I, Roaring Twenties, Western Civilization economic boom. Never really existed. The idea that you would have a prolonged adolescence at 15, 16, 17, 18, or now it's 19, 20, 21, 22, 23. Today in America, if you are a 27-year-old male, it is more likely you're living at home with mom than it is that you are married with children. Fact. Fact, according to the U.S. Census Bureau. The idea that you could do that at 27, at any era of human history until now, let alone 17, if you went and, if we went back to the founding of the country and you were 17 years old and you said to your old man, I kind of need to sow my wild oats at university for four years before I, he would, he'd have beat you with his blacksmith gear. Okay. That wasn't, you weren't afforded that. Just different cultures. Lifespans were different. You know, you, 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 it's, it's, there's some Jewish hist- histories I've read that uh, Mary, for example, when she was betrothed to Joseph might've been as young as 14 or 15 years old. Because you're also dealing with a time period where life expectancy was like 40, right? So again, everything's different. Sense of urgency is different. So you have to you have to understand the culture in which the Bible is being written. Slavery existed in two forms in Bible times. One was the oppressive form. And in the Old Testament, this is a punishment. This is not something to be lauded. This was a punishment of God's people. The other was a simple economic device. It was just a way of essentially a guaranteed livelihood. It was either that or destitution. Because you know what they also didn't have? A welfare state. A welfare state and a middle class existed nowhere in human history until modern Western civilization. So for thousands of years, these institutions we have taken for granted did not exist. Why is, why, is, why, why is prostitution called the world's oldest profession? Well, because for thousands of years, the economic opportunities to women outside of selling yourself into slavery, meaning a guaranteed income, were largely non-existent, with the exception of what? Prostitution. So this argument on the surface is... Um, I wouldn't even say it's unfair. It's intellectually dishonest to begin with. But, but now that we've set the cultural times, we've established those. In the Old Testament, slavery is a punishment. That's God's view of slavery. A punishment against his own people choosing spiritual slavery over spiritual freedom. And so God gives them what they ask for in a way. They want spiritual slavery to false gods and demons, so they get the physical slavery that goes along with that. In the New Testament, when Christ arrives, he announces himself really. There's a moment in the Gospel of Luke where he returns from 40 days in the desert. And now he is he has fully assumed the mantle of the messianic ministry. He's been tested. He is now he is now ready to he's ready to fulfill the being Emmanuel. And he goes to his hometown. And he he's handed the scroll of Isaiah to read the scripture reading at that morning's synagogue. And he opens it up to Isaiah 61 from the Old Testament. Now, we have no idea. The scriptures don't tell us that, that was he was assigned that. He may have chosen to read that. Either way, then, then, then 
God had it that his son would be there the day this scripture was the assigned reading, or his son, in his in, in God's sovereignty, chose to read it himself. Either way, this is significant. And what is Isaiah 61? He says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me to bring recovery of the sight to the blind, to mend the brokenhearted, and then the next line, to set the captives free or to set free the oppressed. This is how Christ announces his New Testament ministry to the world. That he is here to set people free. Later, he says in the Gospel of John, you shall know the truth, and, Paul, and, and, and the next line, Todd, is, and the truth will set you what? Free. Free. See, the reason Sam Harris doesn't understand how the Bible depicts slavery is because Sam is a slave to his own sin. Paul says in the New Testament, you will be in bondage to something in this life, either a bondservant to Christ or a bondservant to your own sin into the world. Sam Harris has, has, Sam Harris has sold himself into slavery to the world. He is enslaved by his own sin. And so therefore, he doesn't understand what freedom actually is or where it comes from. Who established the underground railroads? Who established the abolitionist movement? Did they come from atheists? Where'd they come from? They came from the church. Why? Because of the teachings and the message that I just gave you. William Wilberforce has a spiritual conversion in his adult life. He ends up leading the end of the slave trade. What came first, the spiritual conversion in Wilberforce's life or, the ending, or his ending of the slave trade in England? Which came first? The conversion. Why do you think one came before the other? That's how uh, the economy of such things works. Yeah, he didn't really recognize nor care, frankly, about man's inhumanity to man or even understand what it meant until his eyes were open to the world as it really is. Until he had been set free, he didn't prioritize setting other people free. And so this is what Sam is missing. Do you guys want to add any of that? Um, I think uh, God is not pro-slavery specifically any more than he is pro-plagues, whether they be toads or locusts or anything. Uh, But generally speaking, it's clear he is pro-something. He is pro-suffering, and he is pro-suffering because it's the thing that clearly time and time again he has learned it humbles us and draws us back to him and that is ultimately his bottom line his love for us and if it is within his character uh it will be done so it is within his character that clearly when he sacrificed his own son for our sake that such there is nobility in such suffering. It, there was nobility in not only being cast into slavery, yeah. there was nobility in being cast out of the Garden of Eden because it was what needed to be done ultimately to set things right again. At the heart of slavery is forcing someone else to suffer for you. It could simply be an economic transaction, meaning that's work I don't want to have to do. It can, it can be an, 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 a transaction of oppressiveness. 
I want to make you do things so I can control you, so I can own you. But at, at, at the, but regardless of what the economic or moral 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 impetus or motivation for slavery is, slavery at, is is nonetheless a tool of causing someone else to engage in a level of suffering you don't want to have to do. Right? Correct. In Christianity, Christ knowingly takes on your suffering that he doesn't have to so that you don't suffer what you deserve. But yeah, Sam, other than that, they're totally the same, except they're different in every way. Aaron, do you want to add anything to that? No, no, that was covered pretty well. Um, I mean, when you, when, when you follow Christ and when you are a follower of, of, of Christ as well, um, Christ doesn't make a distinction um there is no distinction uh, it's galatians um you know among you uh who have been baptized there's no, neither jew nor greek uh male nor female you're uh, you know slave nor free um in god's economy um when you are a follower of christ we are um we are all the same um and that is that it, when when you do not believe in the transcendent and this is all there is um it is i i can see well i it, it the only thing that you can see is what is in front of you and what is physical of course you're going to think that the bible says any number of things that it doesn't actually say Micah writes, there's an angle I've yet to hear, but maybe someone has brought it up at some point and I just didn't, I just didn't catch it. When Facebook censors a political ad, but lets their opponent's ad runs freely, can this not be considered an in-kind contribution? See, now you guys are getting into the kind of thinking I'm all, I'm totally okay this with. This is Nigel Farage territory. Yeah, yeah. Ni- yes. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, you know, don't buy, when Kevin McCarthy same guy who is part of the GOP leadership that didn't keep their promise to defund Planned Parenthood, to, you know, to repeal. When he's out there saying Congress needs to defend you from Google, don't, don't, don't give a douchebag tool like that any amount, any amount. Because when Google decides they want to write him a bigger check than his Democrat opponent, dude will knife you, bro. Because that's the same Kevin McCarthy that told you 51 times for seven years he was going to repeal Obamacare too. Okay? Don't, don't. The last institution you should ask to put all your eggs in the basket of defending your freedoms right now is the United States government. Correct. Okay? But that doesn't mean you cannot enlist the government that is supposedly under your control as the people, you cannot enlist them, their their aid in ways that doesn't empower them more than you're, you ought to be frankly comfortable with because they're proven to be untrustworthy, but gives them enough, enough wiggle room to uh, force them, let me put it this way, you empower them in a way that doesn't give them more power, but forces them to defend their oath of office. How's that? Let's put it that mm-hmm. way. You okay with that? All right. Mm-hmm. And they do have an oath of office, what? To uphold and defend the Constitution of the United States. Correct? Right? Okay. So if if these businesses, I don't believe government should come in and take over private enterprise. Just as a general rule. And I can't believe I had to say that out loud. <laughs> but I did. Okay. Jesus. But I did. 
Uh, I'll take shows I thought we didn't have to do since 1979 for $1,000, Alex. But no, we're going to do them right now, apparently. Ten years from now. I don't personally believe that um, the Rainbow Jihad should be the ones making me uh, go to jail tomorrow. Or discerning what my sermon is at church on Sunday. Mm -hmm. But they are, so I had to say that. Right, okay. Um, But... That doesn't mean I don't believe in big business any more than I believe in big government because I typically don't believe in big anything because I don't believe in human nature. All right. So if these monopolistic corporations are going to have and they and they do really have a monopoly on the dissemination of information. Then they should be prone to the same level of liability that any other journalistic enterprise is. If if they're going to make editorial decisions, then they should be subject. And, and I'm fine if that's what they want to do with their businesses. If they want to do that, fine. But no way, no how should they be permitted to do it in a very one-sided way. We have laws. And yeah, I mean, for example, if we had a contested primary in my state and I liked one of the candidates more than the other, I would the law would not permit me to give the one I like all kinds of the airtime uh, that I, and then if then if his primary opponent said hey I'd like to come on and talk to your audience as well I couldn't say well I think you're fake news so you can't I couldn't do that there would be certain windows where it's close enough to the election where he would be able to get equal time from me by law. So if Facebook and, 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 and Twitter and et al. want to get into the editorializing business, they're welcome to do that. It's their businesses. They can do whatever the hell they want with them for the most part. But understand, decisions have consequences. You have freedom of speech. You don't have freedom of consequences. You're free to go into a crowded theater and scream fire. You are not free of the consequences of doing so. You are free to call for assassination of the United States president. You are not free from the consequences of doing so. And so they are free to decide that there's certain content they don't want on their site. None of us would deny that. And this is where they are different from, because I kept asking what makes them different from the Christian bakers and florists. This is the difference. The Christian bakers and florists don't have a monopolistic stranglehold on the floral arrangement industry or the baking industry, okay? And notice that these conflicts are always with local florists, local bakers, local chaplains, one-on-one relationships. Here we have a corporate entity. Absolutely, they don't deserve, they, they deserve some rights. They don't deserve more rights than you. And that's the difference. That's the argument you need to be making. So Micah, I know you're going to agree with this, Todd, but Micah, Micah's, Micah's, Micah's not, don't fight emotion with emotion. You won't win that fight. Stop, think, stop, think, collaborate, and listen. ICE is back with a brand new invention, okay? It's called critical thinking. And Micah, I think, does a little bit of it here. Well, and... Before our listeners react, like, oh, that's that, you're right. That is a better angle to get them. No, that's not it. That's not what Steve just got done talking about. This isn't an angle. What we're searching for is the truth. 
right. a right application of the truth. The truth. That's what you are going for. So, uh, I I hope that that is the spirit with which within which this spirit uh, was uh, this uh, conclusion was arrived at. We're not just out there to own the libs. This is about what is just for all. Yes. Yeah. Because, see, if I were going after them legally on editorial grounds, I would look at things like, because, you know, one of the things, one of the things you, you know, when you go in these cases, are these arbitrary standards, which if it's arbitrarily applied to one or a group of people, that's a form of slander or libel, right? As opposed to, you know, we're just canoes like this to everybody, right? So, like, one of the questions I would ask, like, one of our shows, I think it was Bowling, just interviewed Alex Jones. And you know how I found out about that is because the CRTV account, the official CRTV account, tweeted out a clip of the Alex Jones interview. Wasn't Alex Jones banned from Twitter? Uh, Yes. So, one question I'd be asking is, is Alex Jones banned or not? Are you guys even serious? Because if you're not even serious about your own standards, then this is entirely arbitrary, and therefore arbitrary almost always equals punitive from a legal definition standpoint. Because explain why... So Alex Jones, you think Alex Jones is just... is too bad of a human being to be on your platform. Okay. Then explain to me why you allow third parties to put him on your platform then. Do you even you see the point I'm trying to make? Mm-hmm. Do you even care about your own standard? Because, or are you just reacting? Because, well, because here's the truth: the truth is they can't ban CRTV for putting Alex Jones on, because CRTV has way too much other what is considered mainstream conservative content that has far bigger audiences than Alex Jones. So you're not really making an editorial moral decision; you're making a business one. And you chose to unfairly target Alex Jones as a singular entity in order to appease some other financial interest that you wanted to make amends with or you wanted to earn curry favor with because you're not even serious about penalizing Alex Jones because you let all kinds of other entities that would hurt your bottom line to go after. You let all kinds of other entities as third parties put Alex Jones all over Twitter under their banners instead of his own. You're not even serious about what you claim are your own standards. See where I'm getting at? Yes, I am. It's like it's like if a gay it's like if if, if it's like if masterpiece cake shop. And I know they're we, I know I just pointed out they're not analogous because one's a local baker and one's a freaking global monopoly. But just sit with me for a second. Would Jack would would masterpiece cake shop's case have been strengthened or weakened if we found out white gay couples? got their cakes baked, and black gay couples did not. And when the black gay couples came in, he said, you know, I'm really uh, for traditional marriage. I just can't. You see what I'm getting at? Mm-hmm. Would that have strengthened or weakened his case? Weakened. Why? Because it would have shown he's not really about conscience. Mm-hmm. He's, this is arbitrary. It's punitive. That's what's happening here. Eric Bowling or pick somebody else. I mean, Jones, I've seen Jones on seven different Twitter feeds since he's been banned. Alex Jones is like freaking Tupac Shakur. He sold, Tupac has sold more records since he died than when he was alive. I've seen Alex Jones in my Twitter feed more since he got banned than I did when he wasn't. So you're not serious about, this isn't about cleaning things up. You're just making punitive moves in order to appease your bottom line. 
That's not editorial conduct. That's libel. That's slander. You can't do that. That's where there are some legalities. Now I ask, how many people in my line of work, as those of you that are listening to me right now, have you heard make any of the cases I've just made? And maybe they have, I don't know, but I haven't seen them. What I've seen is not fair, Alex Jones got banned, free speech. I don't know, do, we, do, do I want anybody who claims to get access to any platform I build, I have to give it to them? Hell to the no. I'm not giving Satanists, for example, access to my platform unless it's to come into my pain cave or I'll bludgeon you. But no, you don't get free and unfettered freaking access to my platform. I built it, Obama. Not you. I did build it. But what I can't do is build a platform that becomes a monopoly that then says this is a primary place for the dissemination of information until it's not. And then I'm going to have arbitrary standards of what information gets disseminated when, and not even when, but by who. If, if entities that, that I need because they have huge followings want to put this content I find objectionable on my platform, I'll let them get away with it. Suddenly it's not really about fake news and standards. See where I'm getting at? Mm-hmm. It's totally arbitrary. In what universe do you ban Alex Jones and not Louis Farrakhan? You either ban them both or you don't ban either one. There's not a, a defined standard here. There are defined standards. The New York Times simply can't say th- certain things about people, regardless of how much they may hate their politics, unless they can prove it. There, there are defined standards in these other me- monopolies of dissemination of information. But here online, we don't have them. And that's, to me, where the argument should be. You don't have a right to somebody else's platform. This is like making the case that the left makes that they have a right to health care. No, you don't. I paid for the damn med school. I did the homework. I'm the one paying the student loan bills. You don't have a right to what I just invested, my own intellectual property. No, you don't. You don't have a right to that. You don't have a right to just walk into the pharmacist and grab stuff you didn't pay for off the shelf. You have a right to health care. Well, we got to make sure we don't use their arguments to make our points. I've, gotten, I've, I've watched a generation of us do this, and I can't think maybe you can tell I'm a little frustrated by it. we got to make arguments that reinforce our values, not theirs. They're not serious about banning Alex Jones. If they were, every time a third party put Alex Jones up on Twitter, where would they, what would they do to them? Ban them. And they haven't banned any of them. Why? Because it wasn't about fake news and integrity. It was about offering up. It was about a burnt offering. That's what it was about. That's what it was about. It was about a burnt offering to Oliver Darcy at CNN. That's what it was about. We, yeah, that's, that's. That's not the free flow and dissemination of information. And if you guys are going to act like that, then we're going to do you like we did the, like we did the bells back in the 80s. Then we're to break you up then. Then because now we're talking antitrust violations and monopolistic practices. That's when we that's that's when we're going to break you up then. Because then you're then then you're those remember those classic Saturday Night Live skits when we were kids with Lily Tomlin mocking customer service mm-hmm. at at at, yeah. the, at the at, at Bell Telephone where it was so bad because they had no competition. Mm-hmm. So if we're going to let you behave like an oligarch, see, I believe I, I don't believe I don't believe in government taking over businesses. I don't believe in letting bi- corporations become oligarchies, though. 
unelected oligarchies either. All right? And we're letting them get away with that. And we're going to lose the argument and let them get away with it if we make leftist arguments. Like, I have a right to be on Twitter. No, you don't. I don't. You don't. Nobody does. You don't have a right to be on Facebook. No, you don't. Likewise, Facebook doesn't have a right to have selected outrage and a monopoly at the same time. They don't have that right either. So we got to make sure we're making the right arguments to confront wrongful behavior. If we make the wrong arguments, we're going to play right in to their line of thinking. You guys have any thoughts on that before we move on? Well, I already did, and you took it and ran with it, so I better not do it again because that was... <laughs> Aaron, you have any thoughts? Uh, just... I'm glad this person, this, this, um, Tom was his name, uh, who wrote in Micah about, yeah, it was Micah, Micah. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I'm glad we're, we're thinking along these lines again. Um, careful what you wish for. Uh, I think, I think we all, if there's one, one lesson, I think conservatism should be learning. Uh, it's careful what you wish for, Mm -hmm. because it ain't no fun when the rabbits got the guns along, uh, you know, sometime down the road, a Pharaoh who knows not Joseph will arise. Um, and we have to make craft our arguments carefully and without emotion. And I think that's what we're starting to get into with, uh, anything regarding social media and that's good that's right on the money and i've said this before some of my libertarian friends that have won a couple of arguments more arguments with me in recent years and one of them they won with me is if you're going to ask government to do something make sure you don't ask government to do something or in a way that you're not comfortable with the other guys using it to do that when they're in power right amen that goes right to what aaron just said about it ain't no phone when the rabbit's got the gun so be do we really want to set the precedent Donald Trump, it's every bit as possible Donald Trump will be president for the rest of our lives as it is he won't be president next week. That's how mercurial he is. That's how, that's how shaky the, the foundation currently is. But there will come a day, and it will be sooner than we think, whether it's in a year or three years or seven years or 20 years, Donald Trump will not be president. Just like, when was the last time you thought about Barack Obama? And he was on the president, on the present in our lives for eight years. There will come a day Donald Trump is not president. And ask yourself, when that day arrives, as Aaron said, the Pharaoh who knows not Joseph emerges. Do you want the precedent set that government just takes over businesses that they don't think are being fair to their base of voters? Are we sure? Are we sure that's what we want to do? Are we sure? Because if the battle becomes my authoritarianism beats your authoritarianism, I'm out of that battle. You're welcome to that. If the battle is we have to push back on Facebook, Google, and Twitter and their authoritarianism, I'm I'm always in against authoritarianism. I'm in on that. But I will not fight authoritarianism with authoritarianism. That's a loser. You know who you know what authoritarian authoritarian times authoritarian equals? What does that equal, do you think, Todd? That would be authoritarian. Yeah, you'll just get more authoritarianism. Yeah. I'm out. I'm out. Pete Vandenberg in Seattle says, you guys, a show is awesome. Uh, regarding a recent Feedback Friday podcast, you said you were disappointed in Brett Kavanaugh's comments on Roe v. Wade, that it's precedent. Well, he actually said it's more than precedent. He basically said it's like 
Super duper. Super duper califragilisticexpialidocious precedent. Like Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the 11th commandment being Roe v. Wade kind of precedent. That's basically what he said. Okay. You said you'd walk through broken glass to help him or any other judge get confirmed that would say, I'll vote to overturn Roe v. Wade. You also said to let the creator state his own case. Well, it occurred to me, the creator said in Matthew 10, 16, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. So be sly as a fox and cunning as a serpent. Could this not apply to Kavanaugh? Is not Camilla Harris, not a wolf in this case, trying to trip up Kavanaugh and get him to admit he'd overthrow Roe? If he did that, if he did this, that would derail his nomination. So maybe he's being sly as a serpent. Thoughts? Well, here are my thoughts on this, Pete. And first of all, thanks for your kind words on our show. Number one, there is not a single case in American history, and I mean it, not one. There is not one of a quote-unquote um, unknown, um, you know, secret judge, um, a nominee who we you know was a um, was camoufl- of a camouflage nominee. Not one case. When when we put them, when we confirm them, turn out to be for the good guys. There isn't one. There's there's just not one. So for that to work for Brett Kavanaugh here, he would be bucking a lot of past history that says usually it's indicative of future performance. Number two, on issues pertaining to the Second Amendment, for example. And to his credit on the freedom of religion as well, when he was questioned about these things, remember what I've said about Kavanaugh. The worst he will be is another Anthony Kennedy. Because I, I do think, the while I'm not a, always a huge advocate of the conservative legal beagle guy people, I will give credit where credit is due. They have made it virtually impossible we will get another David Souter. He was the last sort of stealth candidate, like what you're describing, Pete. And we were just told, just trust us by the Bushies. Just trust us and he'll be great. And David Souter was terrible. So the conservative legal society has made it that we're, un- we're very unlikely to get another David Souter. So I don't, I don't buy into the paranoia that Brett Kavanaugh will be another David Souter. I, I don't buy into that. Far more likely, though, but what they did by raising the floor is they lowered the ceiling at the same time. So... Far more, when you look at his past rulings and the way he's behaved, you know, when he was asked about religious liberty and guns in his confirmation hearings, he was actually very strong. I mean, does anybody want to make an argument that that guns are a substantially less important issue to the left than abortion? I mean, they're they're probably their top two freakouts, wouldn't you say, Todd? Yeah, arguably. Okay, yes. I mean, we're not, so I mean, I don't. I, I'm going to have a hard time buying that you're going to stand up there and, and go toe to toe with Diane Feinstein and Cory Booker on guns. But you're just kind of laying in the weeds on abortion. You could be right about that, Pete. I've given up the faith in anything or anybody but Jesus movement. The only thing I put faith in things unseen in. Is Jesus. I put no faith in anything else unseen. All other faith other than Jesus is strictly a by sight transaction for me. Unless I have seen it, I have no faith in it. So 
that's a leap of faith I'm not willing to take. And I'm not saying you're wrong, Pete. I'm just telling you why I, I'm not with you on this, what my vantage point is. I have a hard time believing he's going to be bold on the on guns, but lay in the weeds on abortion. And there's, there's literally nothing in his legal background to indicate He's a vote against Roe. And in fact, there there isn't a single conservative commentator making the case. He's, do you know of one anywhere making the case he's a vote against Roe? I have not seen oh, one. Uh, Heritage Foundation uh, did write a piece, though, that assured us he's not going to repeal Obamacare or anything. Yes, they did that, say he wasn't so. a threat against Obamacare, which, by the way, is the that. biggest yeah. pro- is the biggest legislative promoter of abortion in, a, in American, you know, pol- in the history of American federal policy. So if you're not any threat to overturn Obamacare, which is a huge promoter of abortion, I, I don't know why we would jump to the conclusion you're a threat to vote against Roe. I don't know of a single conservative commentator with an IQ above five who has written that he is a vote against Roe. Do you know of one, Todd? Well, there's a reason for that, because uh, the assertion here that maybe uh, uh, Kavanaugh is showing some uh, understanding of the game and nimbleness in, in playing that game, uh, that that's not accurate. Um, and it's it goes to show in the same reason why people are writing about this because they're not nimble of mind or, or or just showing understanding of how to play the game better all this is is it's like the equivalent of most politicians when they come to iowa and like damn i gotta figure out a way to talk about ethanol and i really don't care about that much that's what's happening with most of these republican uh, judges and the people um who are carrying uh water for them they quite it, 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 it they're not buying their time they just really actually uh don't care if they actually had some nimbleness of mind there's ways you could talk to it but without sounding like you are being paid by uh uh a, a shilling for life site you, you can talk about you know this is an example of what i think is uh poorly decided law this happens to do with mm-hmm. life issues there's all kinds of issues there's clearly federal overreach i have a, i have a deep level of concern uh gorsuch has made a lot of these kinds of arguments you could be having that conversation um and you're not so instead of nimbleness of mind i just see either apathy or or terror i i just don't respect it on honestly i, I, I don't respect it on any level uh as a as a man i setting aside all great women jurists if you're confronted with an opportunity like this and you take this kind of road, I, ju- I just can't and won't respect Does it. Does anybody believe any of the, did any of the apostles when they were put on the spot with ex, with existential moral, were they, were, exist, were they, were they, were they were going to be empowered to confront existential moral crisis? Did they ever, guys, just kind of say what we need to do to get through this and then we'll fix it and we get it. Does there, are there any examples of that? Here I stand, I can do no other. Yeah, yeah, that, 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 there's just, there's zero examples of that in all of church history that I can think of. That all I can think, I mean, essentially the argument we're making is Polycarp should have been like, oh, guys, let's kind of, how about I just kind of do this half-assed and, you know, quietly. And then when I'm done, I'll write like some killer blog about how Caesar isn't Lord. You know, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I don't, there's just no examples of this. That's not to say Pete is wrong. I'm just saying it would be unique. It would be something we have yet to see. That's all. I mean, what have we seen from Neil Gorsuch? Exactly what we saw. There, you know, the one abortion case that came up before the court was about protesting right close to an abortion clinic. He didn't decide that on, on sanctity of life grounds. He decided it on free speech grounds. What did we say about Neil Gorsuch looking at his record before he was confirmed? Very strong on religious liberty. 
very strong against the administrative regulatory state, fairly strong on free speech, absolutely zero record whatsoever on abortion, zero. Had written nothing about it, ruled nothing about it. I don't know how you you get to the federal judiciary in this day and age with having nothing, nothing on your record at all about abortion, but he does. And and on immigration, we thought he could be a little squishy. What have we seen from him since he's been a judge, guys? What have we seen? That is what we saw. He was wrong on an immigration ruling. And everybody, all of his apologists in the conservative legal community said, no, he's right. Clarence Thomas was wrong. No, he was right. <laughs> he was not right, guys. Clarence Thomas was right. He was wrong. <laughs> but what have we seen? On, on religious liberty, dude's been freaking cash money. He's been great. As much uncertainty as there is with anything having to do with Washington... It's amazing how predictable some things are. It, it is quite amazing. I mean, the, what you were just pointing out about um, about Gorsuch and especially the reaction of whatever certain people do by the quote-unquote conservative legal community. It's always predictable. Always. Now, something's happening right now that could make this entire conversation moot by the time we get here on Monday. Who knows? Okay. Who knows? At the very least, because he's a bushy, he is going to get cover and defense that Roy Moore never got a year ago. So what happened yesterday is a woman came forth and she did not disclose her name. But guys, we stopped forcing women to give out their names when they made rape allegations in 1981 to avoid getting slut shamed. Okay, this is we haven't done this for like 30 years, guys. This is a, I, I can't believe some people on are actually on our side are making this argument. Yeah, you can. Yeah, I, yeah, you can. I can. And then they want to say, well, these allegations aren't credible because she didn't give her name, but the women that went to the Washington Post, who only one of them actually alleged sexual assault, but which is one too many, obviously, but they gave their name. You're right, because the, the newspaper that, that this week blamed Trump for Hurricane Florence is somehow more credible than a woman who went to the FBI. Does that make any sense to you? Furthermore, and I have some personal experience uh, with this kind of thing. <laughs> now, it's not, it's not true as that, I mean, there were assertions about how they were found, the purposes that they were found. But if it, we, we also know if the roles were reversed. Would the Washington Post have had the appetite for telling their story? I think we all know the answer is, of course not. You will be surprised at the amount of courage you find in life when you are guaranteed a, a storyteller, a narrative mm-hmm. who, who, who promises you with rocks solid certainty that you are going to be painted in a flattering light. Yes. I have no problem with defending Brett Kavanaugh. I, so we went through, remember I did this when I was on Beck's show about Roy Moore. And Moore, Beck asked me why I was not willing to throw Moore overboard. I didn't go out and defend him one iota either. I just said I'm going to need more before you tell me to essentially end a guy's professional life and legacy. Because here was what I was being asked to believe about Roy Moore at the time. What I was being asked to believe is that Roy Moore arose from rural Alabama to get into West Point. Already now, he has done something a tenth of a decimal point of young men are capable of accomplishing, right? He's already done that. Then he actually finished West Point. 
which even a fraction of the people that can get in there are capable of doing. So he did those two things. By the time he's 23 years old, goes to Vietnam and gets more battlefield accommodations than, than you know, uh, as long as my arm. That he did that too. Okay. Then after doing all these amazing things that required an extraordinary amount of dedication and, and, and personal discipline, he comes home, becomes the Matthew McConaughey character from Dazed and Confused, the 20-some-year-old guy trolling who says he likes the, was Matthew McConaughey's line about, they, what I love about this is every year I get older and they get younger, right? That's what, that, that he, they that, stay the same, same age. That's what it was, yes. Okay, he becomes Matthew McConaughey in Dazed and Confused. So he goes from risking his life in a war people hate, gruel, going through the grueling time of being, of being a West Point cadet. And he does, he puts himself through all of that to come home and self-medicate by becoming the Matthew McConaughey character from Dazed and Confused. He runs for office in this community a half dozen times over the next 30 years. No one ever makes any allegations. He's never accused of even removing a freaking math mattress tag. And then suddenly, when he's about to become a United States senator, we find, and a guy's been married to the same woman, he married a single mom, raised her kid as his own, married to the same woman the whole time, no other allegations, nothing of any nefarious nature in his life to be found anywhere, and suddenly, as he's about to become a United States senator, all these allegations are made, one of them is an assault, and the woman that makes an assault uh, says she has a yearbook that he wrote a more than friendly inscription to her, which made people feel uncomfortable, which she then admitted two days before the election that she lied to us the entire time because she had doctored it years later after he allegedly signed it. Do I have that right? Yes. And the only other piece of independent corroborating evidence that was made was that he was banned from the local mall, which not one but two mall managers said wasn't true. Are, did I say anything not true? No. Now, did I say he's innocent? No. No, he could be guilty of everything. Now, here's we have Brett Kavanaugh. Now we're being asked to believe. We're being asked to believe that after going through a grueling confirmation exercise, where they found out how much money he spent on Washington National Baseball games, right? I mean, they are, no stone is unturned. A woman goes to Dianne Feinstein months ago, makes an allegation. She doesn't report it. And it's from when they were both minors. He was 17 and the girl was at the time, right? She says he held her down, held her head down, tried to have his way with her or something, and she got out. Was that, that, is that kind of the gist of the allegation, I believe? And they were both 17. So they're both minors. They have nothing in his history between now and then to, to corroborate this behavior was emulated somewhere else in his life. Dianne Feinstein was given these allegations months ago, didn't move on them, and then suddenly, after they have shot every missile at this guy, they can. And with no independent corroboration other than this allegation, 
we end a guy's professional life and legacy because of 40-year-old unsubstantiated allegations. Tell me how these two situations are different. I freaking hate this. They're not any different. They're not any different, guys. I've had some people on Twitter tell me, well, it was more than one woman with Roy Moore. Okay, I'll grant, let me grant you that point. Tell me how many women would come. Does anybody believe? And later today, I'm going to tweet this to David French at National Review because he came at me today on Twitter. So, David, if you're listening, tell me what number of women that would make 40-year-old allegations against, David, against Brett Kavanaugh that would cause you to say, all right, that's too many, I'm out. How many would it be, David? Two, three, four? I don't know. What number would it be? If it's the fact that it's one woman with Brett Kavanaugh and it was four women with Roy Moore or three, whatever the number was, then tell me what the number is that you would think, that's too many, I'm out. Because you know what I'm sick and damn tired of? Double standards. I like a lot of David's work. The reality, David, you would you were you didn't want Roy Moore to be on the Supreme Court if he took a 70-year vow of celibacy and was a 80-year-old virgin. And you didn't want him in the Senate, and you didn't want him anywhere near politics, and the, the allegations against him fits your narrative. And your behavior towards him, really, before these allegations, wasn't any different than they were after. Am I lying about that? Nope. The le- people are going to the wall for Brett Kavanaugh. We all know he's not a vote against Roe. And yet last year we were told, hand a U.S. Senate seat to the abortionist in Alabama because character. Okay. By the way, did I say that was bad? I'm the guy that said here, you cannot, I totally disagree with David Horowitz. David Horowitz said he didn't care if the allegations against Moore were, were true. You, that seat's that important. What did I say the day David Horowitz said that? That's no, a that's terrible bad. Take. That's a terrible that's take. That's a terrible take. And by the way, Roy Moore didn't give you that out. He claimed he was innocent of everything, even, even the underage dating that the mothers wanted, wanted their daughters to do. He denied it all, right? He didn't give you a distinction. Moore, Roy either said, it's all in and it's all out. And by the way, I haven't spoken to Roy Moore since the Sunday after the allegations originally were printed in the Washington Post when he called me after church. That's the last time I spoke to him or Kayla. I haven't spoken to him since. I agree his performance on Sean Hannity was dreadful. Did we not say that on this show at that time? Oh, that performance and the rest of the performance is why I said uh, I can't vote for him because we can't possibly care about uh, salvaging his reputation more than he does. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. And when you made that position and that you took that stance, did I ever argue with you or tell you you couldn't say that or you couldn't go there? Not never on the air or off the air. Never. You know why? Because we don't know. We don't know. But what I'm really damned tired of is if it's my faction, everybody's innocent. If it's your faction, it's a quote unquote credible allegation. The whole thing, both things sound incredibly squirrely and sketched to me. I mean, the timing is beyond suspicious. And this, but, but you know what? The same reason I look at Diane Feinstein and say, why did you hold on to this for weeks and months and not say a word? I would look at those women when Roy Moore was running for local office in their hometowns. And you said nothing for 40 years and there weren't even any rumors. There was nothing. 
I mean, Roy Moore... Roy Moore threatened to split the conservative base during the Bush years over the Ten Commandment Monument. Jay Sekulow was enlisted to go down south and talk pastors out of supporting Roy Moore on behalf of the Bush White House. Don't you think if they knew this, if they had this to destroy him when he was a more than a pain in their ass, don't you think they would have used it? Yeah. Similarly, if they had this against Brett Kavanaugh, is it not reasonable to assume they might have rolled out of this before they decided, let's do, let's do uh, you know, Night at the Improv with Cory Booker's crocodile tears? Probably. But if you want to know why this party's come apart, why this movement is splintered, and why it's likely never getting put back together again, it's this conversation we're having right now. If they've got the Bush name behind them, we defend them to the gills, or we automatically assume they're guilty. And if there's some grassroots conservative from some southern state, and they didn't go to an Ivy League law school, and they might not, and they might, they might still sing hymns from the '70s about black and white and red, red and yellow, green and brown, and that sound racist to us in our finite, enlightened minds. Guilty, guilty, guilty. With friends like this, who needs the left? Where's Mitt Romney today to tell us, you know, these allegations against Brett Kavanaugh are just so serious, he should step aside. Tell me, I'm asking you guys, tell me how the situations are different. Because the only potential one is the amount of women. Okay, tell me what, tell me how many women do you think would have to accuse Brett Kavanaugh before somebody at National Review would write, he has to step aside. Go, give me the number. I can't count that high. I mean, how many years have you read that? Yeah. You're, you're, you're a loyalist, right? It's like one of your number one conservative go-tos your whole life, right? Well, so you read this it, a lot more than I do. It used to be. Yeah. So you tell me, tell me, is it two? Is it seven? Is it four? Is it 17? How many do you think it would have to be before Brett Kavanaugh would get the Roy Moore, tsk, 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 he's got mm-hmm. to go away? I can't count that high. And there's your problem. And that's why you have Trump. And that's why when Trump goes away, it won't get better It'll actually get worse because all of these issues are going to come right back to the surface all over again. To me, either you defend them both or neither one. I don't know how you defend one and not the other. Well, Steve, today a whole bunch of women with resumes and bios came out and talked about how they've worked with Brett Kavanaugh and he has been great to them their whole careers. Roy Moore did the same thing. Dude, they had a freaking press conference. They didn't even have it. They didn't even sign affidavits or whatever it was today from Grassley. Women went in front of the camera and said, I've known this guy my whole life. I put my, I, you know, I, I bet my life on him. But no, 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 no benefit of the doubt. Okay. I had, I didn't, I didn't spend, I was, how many times was I invited to go on cable news and defend Roy Moore? How many of them did I accept, guys? Zero. Yeah. Why? Because I didn't know if the allegations were true and he wasn't giving me a very compelling defense. But he's kind of giving, he kind of gave me the same defense we just saw with Brett Kavanaugh. No independent corroboration, squirrely timing of the allegations. Where were all these rumors all this time, right? We've, weren't all these same things, didn't they apply last year in Alabama? Yeah. And so when you're aligned with people that would rather 
you can't be aligned with people who won't treat you fairly. There, there is a brazen double standard here, and if you don't see it, you're either in on it, or you simply willfully don't want to. One or the other. The only difference is the amount of women. Okay, then tell me how many women would make allegations against Brett Kavanaugh where you would say, oh boy, that's, I'm not comfortable with this, I'm out. What do you think the number is, Todd? Well, really, I can't count that. And I, I, I guarantee you that uh, if they get any sense on the left that there is traction here, we're going to hear about another anonymous woman. They're not. They're going to keep building on this. So we're going to find. We're going to find out that what their reaction is to more than one Steve. I, I in the next week, I'd be willing to bet. Uh, you know. I really debated with myself whether to do this. And that, I, you know, I'm not going to get back and forth in a Twitter with people like French. Because, A, Twitter's a terrible place for this conversation. He's welcome to come on the show. We'll have it long form where there's no commercials. I'd be happy to do that Monday, even. And I, strong, and I, I, I considered not addressing it at all. Because so much of David's other work I have a high regard for. Then I have to ask myself, is this particular grievance worth worth potentially stigmatizing any of that? But these double standards are killing us. Some rules apply for some people and they don't apply for others. If you're in the right faction here in this movement or if you've got the right sponsor or if you came through the right political alignments, you have to be protected. Frankly, this starts to sound like what we're talking about with the Catholic Church for the last few weeks. If you're with the conservative version of whatever the current movement is in charge, then you know we just let you stay there and keep you around. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Aaron, you get the last word. Um, uh, I, I, I don't want to say what I'm about to say because um, it would be the equivalent of dousing all of us in uh, gasoline and then lighting a match. Because this whole thing is uh, making make like it was it was I would say the, the week around Roy Moore or the, the time around Roy Moore was rough for me. I don't even know the guy personally like you guys did. And this is reliving that time all over again with the double standards and the spineless feckless uh, class of the conservative smart set. I'm I'm done. I'm. I'm not. I'll say it less. Right uh, all, kind of, all the all the people right now rushing to do what a what a cowardly act at the eleventh hour to do this to c- come out against uh, uh, Kavanaugh like this. Yeah, yeah, 
probably uh, cowardly. But your instinct at the time of Kavanaugh or of Judge Roy Moore or of many, many others, whether they are uh, of the conservative or of the uh, even the progressive tribe, uh, it should be that of John Adams, uh, who in the heart of uh, revolutionary fervor in 1770, a patriot, a man who was seriously considering at that time the need uh, for revolution and to pull away from the Redcoats. Nonetheless, at the time of the Boston Massacre, he defended the soldiers. And they were found innocent because he beyond and and this was a man trust me because he's also the author of the alien and sedition acts so you know he 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 could be tribal but his best instincts kicked in then we are going to seek justice we will not tar and feather innocence because that's not who we are that is it's supposed to be a fundamental conservative instinct and the point that i am proud steve is bringing up is we in general as a air quotes movement rarely show that at all well this podcast went a little longer than i thought and i think i might have lost my voice which is bad because i just got to stick around here and read the last two chapters of my audiobook now so i gotta gargle some water uh thank you for indulging me <laughs> oh it's a great country guys Hey, uh, please click like or subscribe there on iTunes and or Stitcher if you have time today. Thank you to those of you that already did. It really helps us to get the word out. Until Monday, John 317. This is Steve Dace. I like you.